0: So today we're sitting down with Emmy award-winning director and producer Rudy Poe, who is also the founder and creator of Rudy Poe OU. Is that how I say it, Rudy? It is. Awesome. Author of Embracing Change and co-founder of 11th Day Entertainment. Please welcome Rudy Poe to the Untied Podcast.
1: Yeah. (laughs) How
0: are you guys doing? Good. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. We're uh, we're glad you could uh, join us today. I um, yeah, let me uh, so basically, I, I wanted to start like from the beginning. So I was going through your uh, LinkedIn and your website and reading all about your story and everything. But what I was really interested in was where it all began, like your journey, like because I can look at your career, um, but your your journey to where you are now, where do you think that the beginning part of that was?
2: You want me to go all the way back to diapers or what? Well, as
0: as far back as uh, as, you, as you think is uh, necessary to pretty much bring it full circle and with the book and everything like that?
2: Well, so I originally went to art school and then I went to UCLA to film school. Um, so I was even, you know, going through college and stuff. It was kind of a jury, journey of discovery. And, and so I packed all my bags and off to Hollywood. I went, you know, and, and then I, I kind of actually um, accidentally fell into documentary filmmaking. Um, I needed a job and my roommate happened to be, directing a big documentary. And so I, I was the researcher, you know, and actually from that, I, I fell in love with research. I still, I still love it. It's like I sit and learn and poke around and go down rabbit holes all day long, you know? So so that kind of started that. And, you know, along the way I, I, you know, I started to work my way up like everybody else does from the bottom and, and ended up, you know, learning how to produce and, and ultimately direct. And, you know, I made over a couple hundred hours of documentaries for all different kinds of clients. I mean, every everything from corporations to foundations to PBS to Playboy, you name it, you know. And, you know, that, that was my entertainment career and it lasted quite a long time. It's still going, I guess, in, in, in its own way. But um, I kind of transitioned out of it about 12 years ago and started my entrepreneurial journey
0: that's awesome i i uh was going through your uh all your filmography on your website that you have listed and a couple of the ones that like stuck out at me were um mr k and mgm when the lion roars uh which was your
2: first one right yeah that was the first that was my first documentary job i was they basically took me and it was a great job they locked me in the vault you know, which was like a block square building by like, you know, 20 feet tall of all the MGM films. And I, I dug through all the cans of film. I did it for months and months and months. And, um, that, that began that. And then the Mr. K film was, I mean, that was one of my favorite projects. That was the one I won my Emmy for. And, uh, it was the story of a self-made uh, billionaire who founded the Kansas city Royals and, uh, started a company out of his basement and sold it for seven billion dollars you know decades later Wow, and now has a, now has a foundation, the Kaufman Foundation you might have heard of it they, they yeah entrepreneurship in america yeah well, and of course,
0: you fell in love with research after they locked you in the ball at m g m and you just went through all that footage <laughs> i mean who who wouldn't love that research right
2: yeah, yeah, it was cool. I had this little this little uh film turntable thing and um I literally was climbing on ladders and digging through cans that nobody had opened in decades.
0: Wow, that's 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 crazy just to to think that someone like was like, all right, this is done and put it on a shelf and never opened
1: it again. Right. Rudy. um, So I'm going to ask you a couple of selfish questions, and it's because I'm actually majoring in media and cinema studies right now at DePaul University. I have intentions to produce and direct, yet I don't really, I guess, know how to a get my foot in the door. Um, and so, I guess my first question is: Does a major in media and film studies matter in the world of directing and producing?
2: Uh, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, it, back back when I was going to film school, it was kind of the only way to learn, right? Because we didn't have the tools. I mean, we were shooting on film and you know, it costs a lot of money, you know, and just, I mean, I don't know how many thousand dollars I spent on my thesis project, but, but, but now everybody has access to all this stuff. I mean, just because everybody has access to it doesn't mean it's good. You know what I mean? So I think that the school is a great, uh, for me, the three years I spent at UCLA was great because it, it helped me learn my way around town it helped me expose me to all that stuff because I I had never been around any of it before, you know. Um, and then there's the, there's the whole business side, which you know, quite frankly, I was never very good at. You know, it's I was more of a creative person. So, but I think there's a lot more opportunities these days to get started. I mean, anybody can put stuff up there on whatever social media channel there is, and who knows who's gonna take note. Right I mean, we only had our our end of the year film screening, so I think yeah. everybody who wants to get into it these days is pretty pretty lucky. It's a pretty amazing time to be able to do do that kind of thing
1: well and and one thing I'm looking forward to is a getting in the back or getting back in the classroom just in general and then mm-hmm. also get, getting back in the classroom and being in the classroom with like minded individuals that also have you know a niche to create and produce, and I think that uh will obviously contribute to whatever the hell it is I end up doing, but I am, I am interested in out of all of your projects. I was just curious if you could walk us through like the day in the life of what producing something is actually like, like from sunup to sundown.
2: So we did, um, we always did a lot of work for hire jobs. I mean, we were, we were making things, um, we did different kinds of things, but somebody would come to us and say, we need to make a film about, about this or about that. You know I mean? We did stuff, or the naval war college it's like we knew nothing about that and or we we did the history of mgm you know when we, we got started we knew nothing about that so it's always been a learning process so i mean there is a process and I, i'm talking about documentary filmmaking right and documentary filmmaking is a little different than i don't know if you're interested in more like feature type stuff or or sitcoms or whatever i mean each one is kind of its own mountain to climb you know what i mean they're all different flavors of things so um i mean it's great that you you and i I think you're absolutely right in that when you surround yourself with a group of people especially students i mean i I love being around colleges and stuff and the energy is so great and everybody's just wants to do everything i mean we used to i remember when i did my thesis film i had people sleeping I i had a studio apartment and i mean we were working literally 18 to 20 hours a day and and uh uh there was people were sleeping on my floor, you know, I mean, we did what, and those are, those are great times. And, and I'm sure you'll have your own stories of that as well. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> so I don't think I really asked your question though, but I mean, it's, it, you know, they're, I don't know, every day is different, right? I mean, that's one of the beauties of this job. It's not like you get, you go to work and it's the same thing every day. I don't, I can't think of any two days that were ever the same. So it's just, you know, keep an open mind and, and just you go through it and you 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 take it as it comes and you you try and think it through and you stay ahead of it, but you know there's always stuff and there's always creation going it's you know you're creating something out of nothing. you don't even though you have a script or a map of some kind, you're always on a journey of discovery
1: and so the, well, this will kind of be my last question uh, then Jackson has one, but uh, I mean, I feel like that's kind of the road us three are currently going down is we don't really have. A set end goal we just know we're moving forward in the right path because we're we're putting stuff out there and hoping you know shit will stick somewhere um so i'm curious what your advice would be to us some like new creators in the world you know we're obviously we're pretty uh new to this so as someone that has created from a young age and then also successfully in building a career like what what would you tell us
2: well, I mean, there's there's two parts to it, right? And for my whole, uh, for many, many years, I was always on the creator side, you know? So we would we would finish our project and we would drop it off and we were done with it. And then somebody would take it and made sure it got seen or, you know, it got distributed or whatever, right? So our job was make it. And they're literally making and distributing or marketing. Those are two completely different worlds, yeah. right? Yes. And so now those lines are are blurring you know, and <clears throat> I mean, I'm in the same boat as you. I, I, I've been at this you know, forever, but um, so, you know, with my book and I'm, I, uh, my book is also a course. So that's what I did during COVID. I stayed in my room and I made a, I made an online course. I got over my fear of being on camera and it's like, okay, I'm just going to do this, you know? And so now I'm trying to do the distribution part. Right. I mean, cause like one good thing about the, doing the distribution stuff yourself is you don't have to ask permission. Right. You could just go do it. You can do exactly what you guys are doing. Just like, just go do it. And like, yeah. I'm throwing stuff against the wall. Right. Like right. somebody, a friend, a friend of mine markets movies. Right. And she says, you have to do TikTok. And I'm like, oh, you know, I mean, like, oh, and I just I, every time I see somebody on TikTok, I like, I don't mean to slam TikTok. But it's just like, I don't know, man, that that's doesn't seem like me, not my thing, you know. So I said, OK. I'll do it. I'll embrace change. I will do it. So now I'm doing these little things on TikTok and trying to see what works and what doesn't. I mean, I literally just got started a couple of weeks ago. But um, but, th- but that's the fun. It's just throwing it against the wall and seeing what sticks. Most of it's not going to stick,
1: by the way. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe that. And also, you're going to get me in trouble because Tyler and Jackson are big TikTokers and I am not <laughs> at all. So I need to embrace that change too and get my ass Got to get there. that content
2: <laughs> Okay, well, you guys have to check out what I've done on TikTok. I have like six posts so far, so you you guys can critique me. Okay, absolutely. All right, I'm going I'll
0: go check it out after after this episode. <laughs> <laughs> my, but my the most interest. One of the most interesting things that I saw while you know reading through your biography page and your welcome to the website page was the New Testament project that you guys put together this awesome trailer that i was watching and i and then i read underneath it and it was like it never actually be, yeah and i was like what like this is <laughs> such a cool trailer that i was like like i'm not even like that religious you know i was brought up uh in a catholic christian home so it was i have that upbringing but other than that i mean i'm not like a regular churchgoer but
2: yeah i'm not a, i'm not a churchgoer at all <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I call <laughs> myself my a, a creaster. A, a Christmas and Easter, I go
1: creaster. Oh,
2: okay. <laughs> so that that project was like, so we we would when we would make we would make films for other people, and then we would use the profits to fund our own pitches and stuff, right? So mm-hmm. I mean, we had a production company, we had all these edit bays and everything. So it's like we're gonna put this to use. So we for that particular project, um, I mean, we were pitching projects all the time. We I think we got up to like we would number them, right? I think we got up to like 300 and something. Oh, and wow. Maybe, maybe like, you know, 10 of them actually got made. Um, so there's that, you know, we were masters at making presentations of things that never got made. <laughs> so uh, maybe our salesmanship skills were just not as good as our filmmaking skills. I don't know. But, um, but that was a great project because I mean, so what we did is, it was when we first started the company. We had no, we had no clients. We had nothing else to do, right? So we said we're gonna we're gonna make this big epic project, and we're gonna pitch it. and And so we made this beautiful presentation. We spent nine months researching it, and the whole idea was, you know, th- this is the world's best selling book, right? Always has been, always will be. And we thought, well, that's an evergreen project. People will watch this forever. You make it once, and you know, we'll get checks in the mail for the rest of our lives. And, you know, and we actually went out and interviewed people. We even went to the, sent my partner to the, the Vatican. We interviewed somebody in the Vatican. Wow. And so we shot all these interviews. We got some pretty high-powered people, you know, and and scholars at, at uh, Oxford and all these places. So we we had this sort of, and we made the trailer. This is actually, this is what I did in film school, too. Like, a lot of people in film school would make, like, these 20-minute films, right? And they were, like, these little mini-films. And I didn't have enough money to make a mini film. So what I did is I made a trailer and faked like I already made the movie, right? And I actually got to direct the movie. Um, it was a horrible movie. It was <laughs> my career was over before it started, but, but, um, but so that's what we did with the New Testament project. And so we made the trailer in hopes to go get the money. And you know, it just never, never came to be. We made a beautiful trailer though, didn't we?
0: Yeah, it was really awesome. I was like, I want to watch this. <laughs> like, like, And I was like looking up where to find it. And I like went back to your website and saw that it was it never completed. I'm like, great.
2: cool. Yeah, awesome. it was actually supposed to be it, it, what the idea was. It was, you know, this book wasn't most people who, who read the book and uh, live by it. You know, they don't know where it came from and how it came to be. So this was like it's a 300 year journey how this book came to be. So. You know, it's the context in which it was written and how it was written and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we wove the stories of the Bible in with the actual, you know, socioeconomic, and all the political stuff that was going on at the time. And, you know, it's kind of this, this great adventure story.
0: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And then the other thing, I know we touched on uh, Mr. K already, but what was it like to interview george w bush in the white house like especially since you said that you had gone into the vatican and interviewed uh really high up people uh Mm -hmm. there and like what was the difference between going in the vatican
2: and then going to the white house well, I actually didn't go to the Vatican. My, my partner did. I was always, the okay. I was kind of at the production company. I was kind of Oz. I was like the guy behind the curtain who was keeping the train on the tracks, you know, <laughs> Yeah. and everybody was, was out there having most of the fun. I did have quite a bit of fun, but you know, a lot of times I was the one, you know, <laughs> keeping the train on the tracks, but, but when we did go to the white house and that was, that was an interesting, that was an interesting experience, you know, Um it was kind of funny because the reason we got to go And we found out like the president will sit down and he'll, he will, I'm going to assume every president does this. They would sit down and he would sit in one place and he would like do these different projects. He would intro this and intro that and intro the other thing. And he would knock out 10 of them all in like, you know, 20 minutes. Right. And, but this was at the beginning, they, we didn't, there wasn't even HD that was right at the beginning of high definition. And we had high definition cameras and the white house didn't yet have high definition cameras. So they said, "All right, you guys can bring your high definition camera and we'll let you guys sit down special with them." So we went in there and we sat down and we you know, we spent like a whole day lighting this one shot, right? Um and this was when Katrina, it was the the week that Katrina happened, I don't know. Um mm-hmm. and so the president had to had to leave. He had to go, you know, to New Orleans and do his job and all that, you know? So we ended up sitting around the White House for a day, kind of twiddling our thumbs, waiting for him to come back. And uh, so it was kind of cool. We wandered around and, you know, saw stuff. And, we you know, we're, we're looking on the walls like, oh, look at that. That's an interesting sword. Whose sword is that? Uh, oh, that's George Washington's sword, you know? Like, you know, the guy's saying, don't sit in that chair. You know, that's like, you know, 200 years old. And it's like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll sit there, you know? <laughs> so... So anyway, so we, we came in and, and, um, it was funny, you know, I was kind of nervous because I thought, oh, I'm going to meet the president, you know, and you hear him come walking down the hallway and he had his cowboy boots on and he comes in and, and, and uh, you're, you know, I, I figure I'm going to say, well, you know, good afternoon, Mr. President. <laughs> the one <laughs> that came out of my mouth was, how you doing? <laughs> oh my God. What did I say? You know, it's like, I'm such a knucklehead. <laughs> but, um. Oh, go ahead. No, no. So we sat down. He, he, he did it. It was kind of funny. I had this little story about that. I had a little, little bout with this. He has a permanent teleprompter guy, right? Who knows just the way it is. And you know, he says, "Well, I'm." He puts the teleprompter right in the wrong place. I'm like, "Oh, my camera's way back here, dude." And he's, he says, "Well, the teleprompter's up here." And I said, "Well, I'm not moving the camera." And he said, "Well, I'm not moving the teleprompter." <laughs> and, you know, and you got to shoot. You know, so we had a little thing and we came up with a solution where we everybody was happy but it was all good
1: goodness that's that's insane I can I couldn't imagine did you I mean I'm guessing you did but what was the just the overall atmosphere and the pressure like of actually being at the White House already and set up for an interview
2: it was pretty pretty low-key you know I mean it was really hard to get in there we had to pack our stuff in a a block away and all the dog snip, bomb-snipping dogs and everything. I mean, it was really hard to get on the property, but once you're in, it was like, just kind of wander around. It's kind of of funny. So this is a good story. So they used to have the press room. Uh, They have a new press room now, but there was a press room and we were wandering around, nothing to do. So we're looking, oh, we're in the press room and there's nobody there you know, then it's empty. So, so my partner and I, well, we have to do this. So we we went up and we took pictures of each other standing at the podium where the president speaks, you know, nice. kind of so I have a great you picture of me at the podium.
1: I mean, you have, to, you have to take advantage of that circumstance. Absolutely. You could not do it, right? Right. So speaking of that project and the multiple projects that you've done with like producing, directing, et cetera, was there ever a project that you fully decided like, all right, I'm going to go all in on this even though you really truly had no idea of what the outcome was going to be. And then it ended up actually surprising you in the end.
2: Um, yeah. Well, it's, it's actually, it's turned into my book. Um, okay. So right after I did the Mr. Kaufman film, it led me to an opportunity to go shoot. It was kind of a, I, I wanted to make what I call smart media. Um, so I created a project that was all about, I have this fascination with imagination and creativity. So We created a project called the Imagine It Project, and I funded it myself, and I wrote it and edited it and everything, pretty much. And uh, we went to Stanford and shot some stuff, so we shot some interviews there, and uh, it was kind of cool. They premiered it in their big theater there on campus and, and got some interest, so we shot another one. So I made two feature documentaries all on my own, and that was the most fun I've ever had, making a film. You know, it was like I didn't have a boss for the first time in my life, so... That's one great thing you guys have going for me, right? You have the opportunity to do your own thing.
1: Yeah, that's so, what we tell we tell each other all the time. We're, we're like, hey, should we do this or should we do this? And it's like, who cares? We can if we want. <laughs> like, we'll, yeah. you know, we'll we'll figure it out eventually what works and what doesn't.
2: Yeah. So, so I I I made these two projects and um and then I ran out of money. <laughs> you know, so I had to put it aside and I I did this whole I started this whole other company and that took me a decade and now I'm back at this and I kind of figured out what was missing from the first Imagine it project, and and now it's become embracing change, which is my book, and uh, and all this media. I really want to. I just love this subject of, of change, and we have this issue that people don't really like to change. So uh, right. I figure I must. I have to do something about this.
1: Well, I mean, let's. I say let's get into it. Um, yeah. So your book, Embracing Change. Uh, I. I was uh, going through a couple of your things, reading a couple of things, and I saw that you brought up uh, Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. And yep. I'm guessing you've read it, and I'm actually currently reading that right now. I'm a huge like self-improvement person, um, and I think everybody should be, you know, because really, why not? Uh, and in the right. book, Victor Frankl uh, has a quote. He says, he who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. And so, for someone yep. that has a, a passion for implementing change, and obviously having read the book yourself, uh, what does that quote mean to
2: you? Say the quote again, because I want to I I hit this one on the spot.
1: It's he who he who has a why to live, for can bear with almost any how.
2: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you have to find your why, right? Because that's that's your passion, right? right. And that's the thing that's going to keep you going through thick and through thin, and that's kind of what he's talking about, right? I mean. He had the the ultimate of, of thick right and thin. I mean, he doesn't yeah. get more than than what he endured. But um, you know, uh, passion is this this incredible thing. You have to have it because you're gonna you're gonna quit before you hit the hit success if you don't if you don't have that passion, right? I mean, you gotta you gotta keep at it, and it's right. that that's what keeps you going, and that's what kept him going. Is his his whole thing was I'm gonna write this book, you know, and and that's the book that you and I have read
1: it's yeah it's it's a great book Jackson yeah so
0: so in speaking with uh your book uh embracing change did you always know that you wanted to help people to adapt to change or did you know that you always wanted to help people but you didn't know how uh like where did that come from what sparked that uh the idea for the book
2: so um when I made the Imagine project that I just talked about I, I interviewed a a gentleman uh, named Randy Komisar and he said something that's like when you're it's tough to get started right he says he says but if you can find something to rub up against like uh, you that that's one source of inspiration and it's been just sort of a pet peeve of mine that people don't like to change you know I've been, I've it, it's so it happens so often and it's like kind of got under my skin you know it's like well that's just not how how the best way forward is I don't think because I've been a creature of change forever. I mean, even when I was a kid, I mean, I went to like five different schools before I was in the third grade, you know, I mean, I guess that's where I kind of got it. Right. But, um, but so, so that's what kind of motivated it. And I I realized that, you know, a lot of people, there's sort of big picture change and individual change. Right. And most people aren't really interested in the big picture change. They kind of think, Oh, somebody else will take care of that. But we live in this amazing, amazing time right? And I've read so many books on both sides of the equation, right? From the population bomb and all these doom and gloom stories that were written all the way back in the 1960s to uh, these other books of an abundant future, right? And so there's two different schools of thought. And I think you can apply that to your life. You know, a lot of people it's like, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm I'm sort of stuck where I am. Whether, but if you change your mindset to having this open-minded Way of looking at things and embrace what's coming because change is going to happen to you or because of you. So I'm all about being proactive. So I thought maybe I'd give people a tool. If I can write a tool, maybe I'll get some traction. You know, so it's not really the book is just a tool. Um, It's an online course too, but just different people learn different ways. So I've got both of those. But, you know, really it's kind of like, I just want to see if I can. It's it's a little bit of a human experiment for me. You know, it's like, can I actually get people to embrace change? You know, does that make any sense?
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I, I feel like there are things that I don't change about on a daily basis that I like. I can look at myself in the mirror and say that I need to change. And I'll be like, that can start next week. You know, I'm like, it's that thing in your head that tells you, uh, no, I can wait till ne- next week. That's the thing that always gets me.
2: Oh, I have a chapter called Procrastination. <laughs>
0: <future>. <laughs> yeah, if you look up Procrastination in the dictionary, my, it's also like C, Jackson, Delisle. So yeah. that's, I'm, that's what I'm good at. Um, yeah. So you started at a you know young age adapting to change, and that kind of led to the book, at, at least in the very beginning, that was almost like the pebble in the pond that had that ripple effect of you having to go to five different schools before you were in third grade. Um, but what was, uh, like when you help people to make a positive change in their life, what is usually the first step that you see on an overall, like general scale that you're like, Oh, this is a very similar, uh, like, problem that people you see in different people's mindset. anti-change well, mindset yeah
2: well i think i mean the first thing i th- i think is is it's a a question of awareness right i mean i think a lot of people are not as aware as they could be or should be you know what i mean i mean people go through their lives and they kind of have blinders on right so if you just kind of open your eyes and your ears and your mind and 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 start to become aware of, because like the world is full of possibilities and opportunities, but people don't even see them, right? Because they're not aware enough, you know? I mean, so it's a kind of, it's a mindset thing, you know? And I, I think that when you, to to start embracing change or adapt, being a, a, an adaptable person, um, it, it's like anything else. It requires kind of practice and conditioning, right? So like, like what I was just saying about, you know, being a kid or going to school or, uh, having different jobs and all these different things, I, I'm pretty well conditioned to be able to willing and willing to go into and just walk right into it and go, okay, let's do this. Whereas most people are not, you know, so awareness, I would say would be one of the very first things you should
1: try to tune into. Rudy, Rudy, do you, do you have a morning routine?
2: I do kind of, sort
1: of. Um, yeah. <laughs> Do you mind, do you mind elaborating on it? And like, and even if like what, what you believe is, is there an importance in routine in your daily life?
2: Yeah. I mean, I've come to, um, have a morning routine. Like, so I, you, you know, when you learn about yourself, it's like what works different, different things work for different people. So my routine is my routine and yours is yours. And what mine, what's mine is may not have anything to do with yours, but, but, um, so I, I like to spend the first couple of hours, I call it me time. You know, I um I have all when I sleep, I get all these like I, I go on I like to go on a walk in the morning. I like to go for a couple hour walk and I do a little bit of exercise and stuff most mornings. But on my morning walk is when I get all my ideas. Um I guess it's because I got a good night's sleep. And, you know, so everything I was processing and input from the day before it somehow made sense in my head, I guess, while I was sleeping. And then the, I have all these aha moments in the morning. So I like to have that time. And I, 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 I have my phone and I, I jot down all these notes cause I would never remember them all. So, right. you know, I have all, all, all that. And then I, I basically, it's kind of funny. Cause like I spend the rest of the day doing what I thought of in the morning, <laughs> you know, that, that first couple of morning, that first hour or two of the morning, um, between going for a walk and having a cup of coffee and taking my morning shower, and check my mail and you know kind of get caught up on the day so i don't have a bunch of straggly things left over and then i end up doing the, the busy stuff of what i dreamt up in the morning
1: when when you because i'm guessing there was a point where it hit you where you realized that you needed to implement change that that kind of mean implementing something new into your routine
2: um yeah, you know, like the the morning walk's been a thing for me for like a long for a long time. But I've kind of just come through an entire decade of change. You know, I mean, I went, one company ended, another company began. um, I got divorced. I'm in a new marriage. I just moved all the way across the country for the first time in my life. I grew up born and bred in California, and now I live in Florida. So uh, it's been a whole decade of this. But you know that that morning routine of mine has actually been of a constant thing for
1: me. So, sounds sounds good to me. I, I
0: was gonna ask if you were born and raised in California because I saw you went to UCLA and a lot of your uh things on uh your timeline in your career happened in California. Uh but Florida I did see that you're person uh you're currently stay uh out in Florida and uh-huh. That's kind of the opposite of California, <laughs> isn't it? It's like the exact opposite. Like the people are completely different. <laughs> it's just a different area. Oh, yeah. it's, it's,
2: it's different. But what's funny, and you know, it's funny, all my friends in California gave me a bunch of crap about moving here, right? I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, so I started life in the, in the Bay Area. I actually live in Berkeley and in the, in the San Francisco Bay Area. I went to college there. And then, so I packed all my bags. So I was Northern California for the first 20 or so years of my life. Then I moved to LA and I moved to LA because that's where the film business was. Right. And then I was there until LA and then kind of orange County, but, but Southern California until just four months ago. Um, so yeah, so my whole life was there, but so this is funny. So we decided it's like, okay, time for a new chapter. We're going to, we're just going to do this. We're going to move. And, um, you know, there were some, uh, your dollar goes a lot farther in Florida, which was one of the reasons why we moved here. So, uh, but what I did is I started. I just I sat down one night at a <laughs> at a bottle of wine and uh, Google right, and I just started googling. I googled gourmet food, boating, bohemian art, <laughs> everything I liked right, and yeah. and everything pointed to uh, Saint Petersburg, which is. Just about 45 minutes from here, I ended up in Sarasota, but Sarasota turned out to be pretty cool too. So, but it's not like this, it's not like that ever what everybody thinks. I mean, you know, most of California is wonderful. I love California. But, you know, honestly, most of California, I don't know that I'd really want to live there. Um, And it's the same goes for Florida, right? Yeah. (laughs) There are certain little pockets of, uh, you know, that fit my personality and it's it's just it's interesting it's not that different where i am i mean there are certainly differences but but uh i i think i did my homework really well you know i got through that bottle of wine that night i was driving around on google and all the streets man it's like you can drive on google it doesn't matter if you're drinking It's like you're in my chair right that's
1: a great that's a great idea that's awesome
0: (laughs) And I, I did I mean, I wanted to ask you that because we're in Chicago and we uh Tyler's from northern well he's from Illinois originally, but Yeah, northern I lived near the Bay Area for a while. whereabouts about? Us. Uh it was um Vacaville area. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I know where that's yeah, I was uh, stationed at so- Travis at the Air Force Base.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. That's by the wine country. I know that.
0: Yeah, it sure was Sonoma <laughs> County, better than Napa for anyone going. Yeah,
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah.
1: So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this segue crazy. So one of my favorite people to follow on the internet is a motiv- he's kind of a motivation guy. His name is Jocko Willing. Do you know who he is? No. Okay, so Jacob Wilink is like a retired Navy SEAL. Um, he led the Battle of Ramadi in Iraq, I believe, if I got that right, I'm pretty sure I did. Um, but, anyways, he's kind of like a tough nosed, hard headed guy, but he, I mean, he has a super large following and he's just a great uh, motivator. And his mantra is discipline equals freedom. A, I'm curious, do you agree with that? And then B, do you have an, your own mantra that you kind of followed by or does it have to do with like changing?
2: Um, d- discipline. What well, was it again? Discipline. What? Discipline equals freedom. Yeah. I mean, you have to have some discipline, uh, if to, to, to get to the freedom part, I think, you know, because freedom doesn't freedom is the result of the work that you do, I think, you know, so that makes right. sense to me. Um, I have these things I call Rudyisms. And these are kind of like little things that I um they're my truths, right? Okay. Um and like one of my truths is uh better to ask uh better to ask forgiveness than permission. Yep. You know. Um sorry, I've got a couple written down. Um you must learn the rules before you can break them. That's another one I I, I go by. You know, you got if you you can learn what what the game is, then you learn your way, you know, through it, around it, over it, under it, whichever way you got to go to get around to get to, to progress. Right. Question everything. This is the one. This is really my number one thing. Question everything. Don't take anything for granted. You know, and that is a statement that is with a period on the end. Question everything. That's if I had one little mantra, that would be it. So do you believe there are no stupid questions? Absolutely. There are no stupid, the stupid, the only stupid question is the one you do not ask. Okay. I agree with that. I like that. Yeah. I, I had a teacher that
0: used to say that growing up and I was like, I don't know. I feel like this is going to be a pretty stupid question.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <But> <laughs> I'm like, whatever. So I'd like let it rip. Cause I was like, you know, like, there's no stupid questions, but it's cool that I had a teacher early on that would say that to me because
1: you kept I, asking it, stupid questions.
0: I well, it kind of got them out of my system early on. Plus, it was um, they kind of created a space where people were able to ask those questions. They didn't feel stupid for not knowing something. Uh, yeah. But I, I do. I love that. You know, the question everything. That was that's that's awesome. I'm gonna. That is good. That go is good. Life by that now. So,
1: so Rudy, I have. I mean, I don't know if I would really call it my own mantra, but it's just something that I keep saying whenever whenever crap does go bad. Uh, especially, go. and they always make fun of me. But if something happens, I just say it's all mental. Can you explain to them why I'm such a genius and why I'm correct?
2: You're absolutely correct because it's all in your head, right? I mean, right. So actually, in my book, I created these. Uh, I have this concept that I have this concept. I got this from a book called uh, Solve for Happy, but I really have adopted this this concept that your brain is not you, right? Your brain is oh yeah, like, yeah. You know, it's this great thing. My wife completely thinks I'm nuts. She's like, you, no, that's not, how could your brain not be you? It's you. It's like, but no, but my theory is your thoughts are not you because you can actually think about your thoughts, right? So how can they be you if you could think about them? Well, right? You with
1: me? I, yeah, I, I read something where it was like, "You ever? Uh, are, you, are you ever laying in bed up at night, but your brain won't shut off? And then when I Absolutely. read that, I was like, I was like, oh, my God, he's right. He's onto something. So, yeah, if, yeah. You, if you want to continue elaborating how your brain is not you. and How did you come to think but, of that? Like, what, when did that hit your when did that hit your brain?
2: Well, so I, I mean, a heavy one that he um, his name is Mo Godad who wrote that book and he he just articulated it, I guess. Right. Because like, you know what you're saying? so my blog, my blog on my website is called My Brain and My Brain and I. So it's kind of like my my brain. I take my brain out and play with it. It's kind of the way I look at it. It's like, okay, what are we going to think about today? And let's go question this. And so I created actually like a dozen or so characters and I I can't draw. So, but I love typography. So I made a character out of all these different letters. So like my curiosity voice is Q, right? It's questions. So, uh, so let's go ask some questions. Let's be curious today. You know, that's one of the things that you need to be to, to want to change. Right? So, and then I have my my E voice, which is my emo voice or my emotional voice, and I have my, my V voice, which is my voice of reason. So, you know, we all have this these these dialogue going on in our head, right? So I kind of just put names to all these different things. I have my optimistic voice and my pessimistic voice. And uh I have a voice called FUD. You guys have heard of the term FUD? No. Nope. It stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So we all have this voice of FUD in our head, who like tells us all these stories about how bad things are going to be. And it's like, why we shouldn't do that. And, and, you know, spins all these tales. It's kind of like our limiting belief voice. Right. So, so when you say what you said about your idea, it's like, yeah, you know, it's all, it's, it's all in your head because in your head, you can also solve all those problems with a little, with a little action to follow, of course, but.
1: That's a good point.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the letters because I saw them on your website and I was like, I definitely want him to talk about these, but I don't know how to ask him about these because I was <laughs> like, is it an acronym? I was like looking at first, like it's not an acronym. And it was like, I was like, OK, so then I was like going to write it down and be like, can you explain X, H, P? then I uh, I'm glad you touched on that because I was looking at that. and You also have the negative voice. In there which is x uh and uh, all these other ones and i I just think that that's great to put like a face to these different voices that you hear in your head i mean quote unquote voices in your head you know don't want to make anyone sound crazy but it's it it's it is nice to put that face to that so you can be like all right this is what i'm thinking with now and this is how i'm thinking and breaking it off into those things So do you think that breaking it down to those things makes it easier for someone who's resistant to change to almost identify where they need to change?
2: I hope so. I mean, that was sort of the intention. I mean, it kind of works for me. So maybe it'll work for somebody else, you know, and I try to put logical letters to what I'm talking about, not just random letters like X and O, like X is cross that out negative. Right. And O is your optimistic voice like, oh, yes, let's do that. And so X and O, and we all know that from tic-tac-toe and, you know, H is like your habits, right? So habits are a lot of things that kind of stop people from, from changing, right? You've got your good habits and you've got your bad habits. And, um, so I get, there's a little characteristics to all these different characters. So I, I kind of think if you can, if you can put those out there and have like a logical conversation with yourself, that maybe you can say, oh, I'm just being this way today. And maybe I should not be that way. Maybe I should look at it a different way. You know? So that's what goes on in my head anyway. <laughs>
1: so, well, for someone that for someone that has like a PhD in implementing change, what is your what's your take on excuses? And how do you solve with like whenever a client may give you one? Do you just call them out?
2: You gotta be careful with clients, right? And clients are always <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you gotta say, okay, I'll take that into consideration. Right. We used to actually, we used to actually throw things into projects. Like when we would go to screenings, we would we would deliberately make mistakes and put them in the screening, so so that the client would have something really easy to grab hold of to say, well, that's wrong and and you should fix that. And that way they felt like they justified their job that day. And we were like, Oh, you are so right. Why did we not see that? You know, thank you, sir. Yes. Yeah. It's client manipulation one-on-one. But, um, so what what was the question again? Sorry, I went off on that
1: one. I'm just curious on your take on excuses. And I mean, do you, how often do you have to trick your own self in not making an excuse for you? If there's
2: something like you don't want to do excuses are I feel like I have a thing in my head to say, to say something about that but I don't know excuses are just are not good right there's you're just not going to get any excuses don't serve it, it, there's no purpose right I mean other than to stop right. you from what you're what you're doing so stop with the excuses that's what I'd say yeah short and sweet yeah that's yeah. beautiful I
0: um I feel like that's uh, another thing that goes hand in hand with procrastination is excuses. Like the "I'll deal with it tomorrow," "I'll deal with it next week," "I'll," uh, you know, and you ju- like, and also justifying. I feel like those three all go together. Whatever, am yep. I wrong? I don't know. Correct me. No,
2: right? ab- absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> <Awesome>. Putting <laughs> it off, putting it off. I have, I, there's another chapter in the book called "The Day After Tomorrow Syndrome," and that's kind of procrastination mm-hmm. and how people put things off. You know, it's like. Uh, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day. Uh, and and people have that. It's a problem, right? That's, you never get anywhere if you just keep putting everything off. So, get to it. Right.
1: Amen to that. And, so it's, and it's usually if, I mean, if you're implementing change, the first step is literally the first step. Like if... Yeah. Um, I'm a big, I'm a big gym goer and even when days that I don't want to go, I understand that if I just get to the gym, I'll feel better about myself because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm there. And I'm sure, I'm sure there's times where you might have like brain fog or something, but even if you put your pen to the paper or your, uh, your fingers to your phone taking notes, like you'll feel better. And then something may spark up.
2: No, yeah, That's the discipline part that you were talking about earlier, you know? Right. Right. There's a lot of variety people who are writers. I saw people who are successful writers. I've heard this over and over again. It's like you make an appointment with your chair. You sit in your chair, and you look at your keyboard, and you do that. You stay there for a certain amount of time until you can. You and then you write. You know, it's like maybe I don't feel like writing today. Maybe I feel like going and you know reading the newspaper or whatever, or whatever you do, or the internet. And, but if you, it's the discipline part that gets things done,
1: right? Well,
2: in It's the opposite of excuses.
1: That's, yeah, that's a good point. Well, with, I mean, solid discipline obviously will bring you to some successes. And the successes that you've had, um, how did you, I guess, celebrate them in your career? And how do you define success within, yeah, within your own
2: career? Uh, I do this. Pat myself on the back every once. In alone. a bottle <laughs> of wine and Google Maps to go, go on <laughs> Exactly. Um, you know, it's it's funny, you you live for the successes, but those successes are, you know, we were talking about Mr. K earlier. Um, you know, you work for months on something and, and then you have your premiere, your screening, or whatever it is, and you invite your friends over and you have a screening and your whatever it is, and and you have that one sort of night of of um celebration and then you're like okay that was awesome now what's next kind of thing that's what i like about having an ongoing project it's not like it's, it comes to a conclusion you know like you guys have your podcast here it's like you, you end one podcast but you keep going it's like okay what did we learn today and we'll, we'll make the next one better and we'll keep going and you keep building and it, building and it, building it. who knows where it, it goes but but it's uh it's better than just start and stop, start and stop, start and stop, which is what a lot of my career has been. Right. So over your, um, your
0: entire career, what would you say was something that you thought was gonna completely fail and ended up like surprising you and you were like, wow, that succeeded. And I I mean, that might be part of the negative voice, but it, it was like, there was something that, you had to have been like, I have little to no faith in this, but I'm going to do it anyway and see it
2: through. And then it surprised you. I don't know. And once you get that attitude, I don't know that anything actually comes survives that. Um, I mean, a lot of things took a lot more work than I anticipated before they reached some level of success, you know, and a lot of things didn't, didn't get to success. I mean, dealing with that sort of, um, you know, dealing with failure or falling down or whatever, that's part of the, that's part of the game. I mean, you kind of have to, you have to do that. That's going to happen a lot. So you kind of have to get comfortable with that. So, you know, the, the way success comes after failing or stopping or, you know, whatever gets in your way, a bunch of obstacles get in your way. is just to persist, right? It's just to keep going and find a solution to the next problem. Because really. And this kind of goes to what I think creativity is. Creativity, I think, is just problem solving. And nothing more. You know, it's not about painting a pretty picture, writing a beautiful song. It's we all are creative and because we all solve problems, right? I mean, and that's what that's what success is, is just solving a number of problems until you get to a point that you call success. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yes. So, so what
0: would you say in your career would be your most learnable moment that you thought would have been, um, uh, like you thought was like the biggest thing you're like, oh man, I can't believe that happened. But like looking back, you're like, I'm glad that happened. Cause it shaped who I, am, who I became and like the road that I
2: went down. Um, I mean, one of my the big aha moments I've had over the past couple of years is, is, So I've had a couple of different companies and I've always been the kind of, like I said, the Oz, the guy behind the curtains. I've never been one to be out front. I've always been, you know, in the background doing my thing. And I have realized over the course of my career that I should be the one out there and not, you know, being behind the scenes anymore. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. So that was a big aha moment, but it took years and years of, of, uh, trials and tribulations to get to that point. You know, so that that's pretty epic in my mind.
1: So Rudy, on your QA section, you were asked uh what you want to be when you grew up and you answered smarter. Do you I took that I took that as in just kind of putting the ego aside and understanding that you a person should be a student for their entire life. Is that what you meant by it? I mean, because everyone wants to be smarter.
2: Yeah no i mean uh I wish I was smart I wish I was smarter you know i always i always like to to um it, you know you're ne- you can never be smart enough right I and mean, once right. you think you're smart, that's when you get to be in that's when you're in trouble um i'd rather be humble about everything It's like yeah I've, yeah, I've learned a few things along the way, but there's always more to learn you know i mean I love learning i wish I, when i say I wish I could be smarter, I wish I could learn like five times faster, you know, like I have this guy that I'm working with right now and he is wicked smart. And it's like, I, my brain hurts after like working with him for two hours, but I want that guy on my team. Right. I mean, I want to be the dumbest guy in the room. You know, that's, that's one of my goals. If I can be the dumbest guy in the room, I know I'm in the right place. So everybody's smarter than me, right? They know better. And all I have to do is kind of just, you know, drive them. I don't know, be there. And yeah, I got that. I actually got that from uh, that very first documentary I worked on. Louis B. Mayer, the M and MGM used to say that. I want to be the dumbest man in the room. So that's what I want to be. And Sometimes that's what I am. So
1: <laughs> that's no, that's, that's a good idea. And I know what you mean by it. And I, I would say I am in this room, so it makes me feel better, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> nah, stop. Um, another, another Q and A thing is uh, your superhero power you can see the bigger picture. So I'm, I'm curious what you mean by that. And I'm curious if you could tell us, or if you could use your power on us and tell us our bigger picture, that way we don't have to do anything else. We'll just, we'll find out that answer right now.
2: (laughs) What's funny is I've had, I've, I have always had this ability to see the bigger picture. Like, so if there's, we're always, in business, you're, you're stomping out forest fires every day, right? Putting out what the fire that's right in front of you. And I'm not always right, but, but if you can see what's three steps down the road, three chess moves ahead, where things are going, you know what I mean? That's, that's a, that's a talent. And I don't think most people have that. They're mostly like, what's here right now? What do I got to do? You know? So, and I've actually, It's it's to to other people sometimes it's like Rudy stop talking about that we have to deal with this you know but if we would have dealt with that bigger thing things would be better now you know what I mean after after time in hindsight right you know what I mean right so so I think it's good to be able to step back and say where am I headed you know and that's what what is the future that I want or what is the future that's you Know what are things that the energy forces that are working for me and against me? And how can I position myself to get to that place that will be the logical place to be three steps down the road? So there's, I would just encur- encourage people to try to think that way for a change.
1: There's so there's there's this quote, um, I think it's by Jesse Itzer, and he says, Be where your feet are. And and then you you're you're saying kind of, I guess, understand the direction you're going to, but obviously you don't mean, you know, you can't daydream all the time of where you want to be. You obviously have to be present in what you're doing and working towards those goals. Right.
2: Yeah. And I I mean, yeah, because it's funny because that's, that's exactly the phrase people told me. It's like, Rudy, your head's in the clouds. Just just be where your feet are, as you just said, you know? Um, Right. But it's one thing to fantasize about something and it's another to be sort of logical about it. Like I love all things future, for instance. Right. I mean, I, I read things, I have blog, people's blogs pushed to me, news feeds pushed to me. So I'm pretty adept at, um, as I consider myself pretty adept at where the world's headed, you know? And so like I make my investments that way. Um, I try to apply what I know towards what I'm doing right now with my, with my project and say, well, how can I, how can I use all that stuff? So that goes back to the learning thing, right? So if you're constantly learning and you're seeing things by learning, you're able to see things that you couldn't otherwise see because you didn't know about them. And that goes, goes back to the awareness thing, right? First you have to be aware and you have to know you first, you have to know, know that you don't know. And then you have to try to learn what you don't know and then when you do that it opens up even more doors so you can see the bigger picture. You with me? Yeah, I know I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, uh, I feel like I uh,
0: I completely understand what you're saying. I feel like I always thought that I was a more of a big picture person than like looking at the task in front of me and I'm because I'm always all over the place, but I feel that it's almost easier to take that step back when you are in a more creative role surrounded by creative people, you know, you have that almost head in the clouds, like you said, mentality that people view that as that helps you to look at the big picture instead of just being like, well, this is what we have to fix right this second. So with that, do you think that that was able to help you in, like when you were making the decision to move to Florida, like in every decision of your life, do you think that that helped? that big picture aspect helped in any decision making skills that you had in your life where you were like, this is like, I know because of this.
2: Absolutely. Um, because if you can, if you can sort of see down the road, you can start making decisions based on that, you know, and it's, it's not about just saying. Oh, when you say so your head's in close, oh yes, let's go do this and let's go do that. And everybody talks about being sort of scatterbrained. And I've been accused of that certainly plenty of times. But um you also have to learn how to say no, because like if you can see the big picture, you know what to say yes to, or at least you have an inclination as to what to say yes to, and you also have an inclination as towards to say, No, that's probably not that might be a waste of time, you know. So you you know what I mean? So it keeps you, it keeps you um kind of focus if you can if you can see the big picture. So you don't go just bounce you can bounce off the walls as long as you're going in the right down the right tunnel. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Rudy, what was it like to hold an Emmy in your hands? <laughs>
2: uh it's it was pretty cool. I was nervous, you know, I don't like being up on stage. So call, I wasn't sure if they were gonna call my name and they called my name and and um so that was pretty good. But I had a couple of um uh it was a, you know, big thing. So I was a little bit lubricated that night. I feel like I'm sounding like I'm like an alcoholic. I actually don't drink very much, but
1: uh, yeah, I mean, just on just on occasion. But you you won an you won an Emmy. And speaking of excuses, I think that's a pretty damn good excuse to have a couple of drinks. So so you know. Uh, so.
0: Yeah, so you won um, one Emmy, but you were nominated for seven
2: total, correct? Your your work well, was nominated for seven total. I've been involved in projects that have won more Emmys than I personally got. You know, I mean, that very first project, uh, that MGM documentary, won an Emmy, um, and I worked. I did this. I was a production manager and supervisor and assistant director i did a lot of different roles on this uh it's called in search of dr seuss it was dr seuss's life and that project got nominated for seven it didn't win any but it was nominated for seven and that was a pretty cool project so it's been great to be involved in projects i wasn't you know the, the the position that got the emmy or you know got nominated or whatever but but i've been on a number of projects that were
0: Yeah, still, still great. I mean, still something to put on a resume. It's nothing to brush over Uh, because we haven't been involved in anything that won an Emmy. So (laughs) not yet, but the bigger picture tells
1: me something else.
2: Not yet, not yet. uh, (laughs) That's the negative thinking, but. Well, what's the the award for podcasts? Maybe you guys can uh, put yourselves up for that
1: maybe we'll just create an award and then we'll just win it every year just like the
0: golden to mic boost our egos. <laughs> yeah. like, that sounds like it already exists
1: <laughs> the golden mic yeah it sounds like
0: it's a radio award though there you um, go. yeah so so you have your book out right now uh people can go and get it on amazon or at
2: r- rudypo.com yep which will feed you to amazon so, um, yes. it's interesting. So, I mean, this, this is interesting because like in today's age, you're talking about your podcast, but I self-published my book. I don't have a big publisher behind me or anything. So it is up to me to sell the book. So, uh it's, it's a fantastic opportunity we all have to put our material out there. So, yeah. and, and I actually,
0: I don't have my copy of the book because my father and I are sharing the book currently. <laughs> we have two different color, uh, post-it notes at where we're at. <laughs> In the book, so he has it this week. Uh, we're sharing custody. So, oh, cool. I've been reading, I've been reading, I've been reading
2: your dad's book, and you're mentioned in there, I've noticed a couple times. Yeah, once or
0: twice, but my sister got an entire chapter. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so I made the uh, I made the cut, but yeah, it is uh, if people want to go and listen to the or read the book. They can go to Rudypo.com it's at Rudy po on all social media and uh, uh, Rudy com will also take you to the embracingchange.io page which will tell you more about the book and more about um, how to embrace change and implement that in your life with the online course and I want to thank you so much Rudy Poe for uh, taking uh, the time out of your day to sit down with us for as long as you did
2: No oh, it's been my pleasure thanks for having
0: me. Uh, no problem anytime so uh let us know if you're ever in the chicago area and we'll uh we'll get together we we'll grab a drink or i mean
2: it's
1: it's a special occasion if you're in <laughs> chicago
2: so <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's right yeah thank you rudy it was great talking to you
2: yeah nice to meet you guys thank you, for great well. meeting you too. okay take care talk soon